Welcome to the GTB podcast for August 2017, volume 55, number 8. My name is David Fazakli. I'm DTB's deputy editor. And I'm James Cave, editor-in-chief. In our editorial this month, we discussed the provision of medicines that have been prescribed and dispensed from businesses that provide private healthcare services online. So what prompted us to cover this? So uh, we're looking at the CQC's inspections they undertook in March this year in a report and that was on the back of, I think, a Radio 5 Live investigation that highlighted concerns about one provider's provision of antibiotics. And the CQC found a number of uh, concerns regarding online prescribing. So these are companies that provide out, this is outside the NHS, so private businesses or private companies that offer supply of medicines... And a consultation process? Yes, I mean, this is where, I mean, there's an enormous variability in service provision available online and the quality, but uh, it didn't escape our notice that very often these online uh, businesses are set up really putting the medicine at the front of, if you like, the front of the website. So you would go online and you would see what drug treatment you might want, and then that would take you through then a series of process, including some sort of doctor uh, interaction to determine whether you could then have that medicine or not. So we're not saying that this is a bad service to offer. I mean, there are clearly some advantages in having this and, and sort of things. That it, what does it enable patients well, to do? Well, obviously, I mean, first of all, it's it's very easy for someone at any point of the day to be able to go online and access these services. Also, there's an issue around if you know if you've got some embarrassing issue that perhaps you don't want to have to have a live face-to-face consultation with a GP or a doctor, you can obviously do that online too. So there are a number of really good things about online services such as these, which I think we don't want to put a downer on. The issue for us is the quality of the service that is then provided. So the CQC highlighted some problems they'd found when they'd inspected some of these. But as, as a general principle, we do have some concerns about this model of providing a medicine as the front end of the service rather than a consultation? Exactly. I mean, it seemed to us that that many of these services, the doctor or clinician is relegated to a technician who ensures that the drug the patient has wanted is provided in line with regulation rather than the clinician being an integral part of that therapeutic process and actually offering something to that patient. Also, we were very concerned that there seems to be no ability to follow up patients. So uh, we found some websites that can offer a patient gabapentin, pregabalin, uh, codeine-based analgesia. And there's no, it seems, no ability for the doctor to follow up that patient, ensure the prescribing has worked for them and that there's a good therapeutic relationship. So the principle that we're really highlighting is that that this is the early days perhaps of these services and that they need further evolution? Uh, Definitely. I think uh, we've got huge concerns that the moment the the slant for these are on the easy provision of drugs, sometimes of marginal benefit, and we need to see the therapeutics really properly embedded into it so there's a there's a good understanding by both the patient and a good support from clinicians uh, providing these services. So medicines aren't the same as everything else you buy online? Precisely, precisely. Okay, thank you very much. Our first main article reviews eloxadiline, a new drug for the management of IBSD, 
So let's go step back. What is the current approach to managing people who've got IBS with symptoms of diarrhea? So uh, NICE brought some guidance out a couple of years ago, and they suggest that lifestyle is an important first step. They also suggest that uh, in some patients, psychological uh, interventions such as CBT may have some clinical benefit. And then, you know, third line, pharmacological interventions such as antispasmodics uh, and loperamide. So now we've got a, a new product recently licensed. So what is Elux Adeline? So this is a mixed mu opioid receptor agonist with also kappa opioid agonist effects and delta opioid antagonist effects. So the idea behind this is that this drug works in a similar way to loperamide because loperamide also is a peripheral mu opioid receptor agonist. But the idea behind Elux Adeline is that it has the kappa opioid agonist effect which has an impact on the tone and motility uh, of the gut. So hopefully it prevents diarrhea but also doesn't cause constipation and also helps with some of the analgesic properties that you hope you'll get in these patients who've got pain and diarrhea. So that's the theory? That's the theory. Clinical trials. So what? let's start with outcome measures. What were they assessing? So this is a mouthful and I hope I get this right. So what they wanted to do, when they looked at the outcome, it, it was a quite a complex outcome. They, they were afterwards a reduction of at least 30% in their pain score and a Bristol stool score of at least no more than four on at least half the time. I hope that makes sense. So what they were saying is that not only must they these patients, when they take this drug, see a 30% reduction in their pain, their stool consistency must improve, and that must happen on at least half the days they're taking the drug, if that makes sense. So it's quite a complex outcome. And what they found was that in patients who took Eluxadoline, 31% of those patients uh, achieved this outcome versus about 20% of patients taking placebo. So it was an 11% difference between... 11% difference. And the European Medicines Agency, in their consideration, suggested this had limited clinical relevance. And within that, if you teased out the two elements, there was no effect on the pain element? No effect on the pain element. There was real concerns. There were lots of limitations. These patients had not used anything else for their diarrhoea ever, so they um, had no comparisons with any other treatments, particularly, obviously, with loperamide, which forms uh, often the basis of a lot of treatments. Also, there were issues around progression, or sorry, regression to the mean. So a lot of these patients had to have symptoms in the run-up to the start of the trial, and of course in many patients with irritable bowel syndrome, their symptoms wax and wane. So we could have seen a, a, a simple, normal change in their symptoms, uh, as you would expect in any, in any patient with IBS. And harms? So harms are, as you might expect, constipation, nausea, abdominal pain, the most common side effects. One of the little flies in the ointment is they did see an increased risk in pancreatitis in patients uh, taking this drug. So concern there. And in addition, this drug does interact with a lot of commonly used drugs, antiretrovirals, uh, statins and angiotensin receptor blockers. So dare I ask what the bottom line is? So the bottom line is here we have a drug that will cost you £88.20 for 28 days treatment compared with 2 to £6 for loperamide. It has poor clinical benefit. It's not cost effective. It has multiple drug interactions. It has a sting in its tail with regard to pancreatitis. Guess what? 
we don't recommend using this drug. Okay, thank you very much. And our final article this, this month is a review of a newly licensed product, an old product but newly licensed, glycopuronium for the management of severe drooling in children. Now, we looked at this whole topic a few months ago and discussed the approach to managing uh, drooling in children. At that time, we noted there was a lack of licensed products. Most things are used off-label. Now somebody has managed to get a product license. So what is it? So, yes, yeah, so glycoperonium is an anticholinergic drug. It blocks acetylcholine receptors. And there is evidence from its use off-label that shows it can be effective in patients with severe drooling. Uh, and as you say, we, we covered this actually it was two years ago now. Doesn't time fly when you're having fun? And at that point, we were talking about first choices being things like posture, perhaps oral motor exercises and some intraoral uh, devices. But really, there was very little to offer these patients therapeutically. And as you say, it was all off label. So it's, it's welcome that actually someone has come along and actually looked at glycoperonium and licensed it for this treatment. But the sense that this was done under a, a European arrangement of a paediatric use marketing authorization process, which looks at existing studies and then applies it to the, the, this product. So we still haven't got a whole host of new data. That's absolutely right. So we don't have actual data using this drug. As you say, they've used data from other trials. And we have two randomized control trials, quite short, sort of eight weeks long, where they could demonstrate that using crushed glycoperonium in capsules that the, you could see a reduction in drooling scores from about 7.5 at the start of the trial down to 1.9 in patients who were given glycoperonium and that compared well with the placebo group where they saw only a very slight reduction in their drooling scale from 7.4 down to about 6.3. So some evidence of benefit, harms presumably driven by the pharmacology of the product? Yep, so absolutely classic constipation, dry mouth, and obviously the concerns about dental caries as well in patients if you dry their mouths out too much, urinary retention, and quite a high adverse effect rate in the trials. And in fact, in one open study, almost half of patients suffered from some adverse effects. So there does seem to be problems with glycoperonium in some patients as well. So welcome news as a licensed product so if people are going to choose glycoperonium then this is the product used because it's got a license but no comparison with anything else nothing to say how it compares with hyacine so hyacine 12 pounds a month to use probably is still first line even though it's off label but as you say if you're going to use glycoperonium you now have a licensed product and what's good to see is that the licensed product is only just very slightly more expensive than if you were to use off-label um, glycoperonium. So we have that element of safety now where you can actually make sure that drug dosages are, are well sorted. But at the same time, this is only licensed now for the shortest possible time because we have no long-term data on, on this drug at all. And still, presumably, under the care of specialist management. This is a drug only for severe uh, drooling in patients with neurological disorders and only for the shortest possible time. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, to read this or any of our articles, please visit our website at dtb.bmj.com and any comments or feedback, please email dtbeditor at bmj.com. Thank you very much. Thank you.